Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Adam Morton. Adam is a Lutheran pastor in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and is currently pursuing a PhD in theology in the United Kingdom. I give you Adam Morton. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You are, I've said it once, I'll say it again, a Lutheran's Lutheran in my book. Is that fair to say? I suppose. I mean, I I know several Lutherans. I've married to one. I'm her Lutheran. Is that nice? Yeah, it's like you. You there's so many. Yeah, I, I love it. It's uh, you. Uh, I get all sorts of interesting Lutheran. Uh, you're like part of the Lutherati, and <laughs> you guys follow the lectionary at your church. And so this week we've got some interesting texts to take a look at. Where this is the Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday, it goes by many names. Our first text is Isaiah 50 verses four through nine. A. I love when they put A in there. Right. It's right. Like the, it's like the half verse as if that that's the, in, the, uh, the, the, you know, sacred verse number a, so this is an interesting text, right? Because we have, we have, there's this really interesting phrase in it that says that, where is it? Um, the, the Lord God helps me. Therefore I have not been disgraced. That, that's right. one of those passages that seems like it would preach. Right. Because objectively, this is a person who has been disgraced. Right. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. That sounds like public disgrace. Yeah, I think of that. What's that passage? Is is it in Kings or Samuel where they David says to some of his men who've had this been accosted by an enemy army, go take some time to grow your beards back. (laughs) You know, like that. That's like sort of, uh, you know, this 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 sense that, you know. You've been kind of disgraced by, you know, the, the pulling of the beard is not just painful, but some yeah, well, sign of disgrace. It's it's hard to imagine having your hair cut by force and having it be dignified. Yeah. Remember that scene in Stripes where that where where uh, where the guys are like shave, get their head shaved. Yes. <laughs> and the guys come out. The first guy that comes out, as Harold Ramos was like, Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. <laughs> and they just like jump him. <laughs> Yeah, so there is some disgrace theme here, right? Right, but therefore I have not been disgraced. Yeah, and so this is this sense that because the Lord has has been there in in the even in this sort of dramatic persecution and struggle that 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 despite the fact that objectively it seems like the narrator should feel one way, the sense of God's intervention and presence changes that. Yes. Um, and, and specifically, I mean, the, the presence is given a concrete form here uh, because it's, it's the same thing that, that, that this person has been given. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Yeah. Yeah. And that, what's that word, man? Well, you, this, a, is, this is where the Lutheran lights up, right? Right. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a deep theological question. Uh, but in whatever form it, it existed outwardly for, for Isaiah 50 here, um, it's the gospel, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's interesting, you know, that the Lord God had given me the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to sustain, right? Seeing the weary with the word. It's often like, there's this phrase, you know, the preachers ought to like comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And I always think that's so interesting because like, who's comfortable? You know, like, you know, like who's, who's like, who's, it assumes that there's a bunch of people that aren't uh, in some sense coming to church, walking on broken glass, you know? (laughs) You know where that phrase came from, by the way? I do. It comes from Chicago journalism or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a book about the about the news. It's in reference. It's in a book, but it's about it's in reference to the newspaper. Yeah, I read a history of that phrase by Martin Marty once because I was fascinated by it. It's, <laughs> so it's like yeah, it's so funny that it's, it's, this becomes this sort of mantra for preachers, right? That that I'm going to sort of you know be the prophetic you know kind of uh, tongue lasher. Right, right. Now, to be fair, I think the newspaper is almost being compared to God in that in that passage. So. <laughs> Not now, fake news. Yeah, right. Very fake. It's interesting the this this website that Calvin Seminary does on preaching. It's very good, and they have they always have like some great notes and lectionary passages. And Scott Hosey, who I think is the chaplain at Calvin College, says this: Isaiah fifties fifty four through nine's juxtaposition of beauty and brutality is so jarring that it may be disconcerting. Yet that combination is part of what helps make our text in so many ways reminiscent of daily life. After Mm. all, it sometimes feels as if we're almost constantly moving from beauty to brutality, and then so often right back to beauty and back yet again. Well, that's an interesting commentary on on, on beauty, Um, partially just because I I just listened to Jason Michelli's interview with uh, Mark Mattis on his book on Martin Luther's Theology of Beauty. I just got that book in the mail. It's a good book. It's a good book. Um, but I think Mark would point out that juxtaposition is part of, at least from from Luther's perspective, that's part of beauty. That is real beauty, the beauty of the cross, right? In in which it, it it's it's finally only visible in in this crazy connection between brutality and a a different kind of glory. Yeah, it's interesting. In, in von Balthasar's book, Love Alert is Credible, he says, you know, there's no real, you know, analogy for revelation. And yet, if there's a faint analogy, something like love, and he says, you know, what we love becomes beautiful, and what we find beautiful, we come to love. And he thinks that what, you know, what happens to a Christian is that relationship, one has that relationship with the crucified Christ. And, and he, it's just like Paul says, you know, we used to regard, we regard no one from an earthly point of view. We used to regard Christ that way and no longer. And it's this, right. this, you're, you're, it's almost like your aesthetics change because you well, see something in Christ differently when, when the word of the gospel unveils that. Well, and that, that, I mean, that, that heightens that there's a Christological focus to this text too, obviously, right? We have the one who is, um, able to sustain the weary with a word, um, who is beaten plucked, insulted, spit upon, disgraced. And in the face of this, it's still asserted, but he's vindicated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's, it's, we have on the one hand, the word who is Christ. And yet it seems to regard one who could be, it's, you know, it, it's also the prophet. It is also Christ himself. And it's also the one who hears this strange passage. Yeah. It's interesting because I think you, you could think of this, this text could seem abstract at first because it's talking about Israel's exile and, you know, it could seem like our an ancient history lesson. But actually, it again, I think like it's pretty relevant to everyday life and certainly relevant to Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday. Right. 
I mean, the, the, the question of how how a person who doesn't feel proud and vindicated in their daily life, um, quite the opposite, can hold their head up. Yeah. Now, let's go on to Philippians. Here we got Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Pretty famous, the, the kind of Christ hymn, of, you know, and, and this picture of, you know, God, Bart says, right, that two stories go on in the Gospels. And the synoptics and some of Paul, it's the, Jesus of Nazareth is the son of God. It's an ascent story. He's like, and, and John and other parts of Paul it's the son of God, the eternal son, is Jesus of Nazareth. It's a descent story, and they're both happening at the same time. So this is one of these great descent passages, though, right, where you have the eternal one becoming a servant. It is. And I, also, just... Philippi is a, it's, it's one of these places where Paul doesn't seem completely pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> like, the letter doesn't, he's not like, idiots, <laughs> you lost it. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Which... Which, which maybe could suggest they're even worse off. Yeah, right. Exactly. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Like these, these people are so low. I can't, I can't hit them like that. Yeah. Right. 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 Maybe. Uh, yeah. I gotta, I gotta sugarcoat it for them. Usually I don't do that. Well, I'm, I'm even sure it's sugarcoating. It's just, it's, it's, it's knowing the right word for the moment. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, if, 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 if you need to give them this hymn about Christ descending to be like a slave, where are they? Right. And, you know, it's interesting because Philippi, right, was one of these sort of, I mean, it, it was a kind of well-to-do, I think, like, mi- like sort of, wasn't it like post-military colony or something? I mean, it, it was it was a it was a, a place that, that sort of was well-to-do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, inferring from the general status of, of, you know, of a town as a whole, the, uh, well, there's, there's always a danger in there and guessing exactly who these people were. Yeah. Right, you could because you could be the sort of you could be in Beverly Hills, but you could still be the Cato Kalen. You know? I, well, right, right. I mean, that's such you a know. bad O.J. Simpson reference. Like it's New York like, is really, really expensive, and there's still somehow poor people there. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, this is a this is an interesting. It tells us, you know, it's interesting because you gave this talk at Mockingbird last year about American gods and you know what god do you believe in? What gods? By the way, I love that show, American Gods. I thought it's phenomenal, but. It, it, this is this is what makes all the difference, right? It, it, if it's not like if we can say Jesus is like God, but can we say God is like Jesus? Yeah, it's. I mean, even here, there's a there's there's a distinction. Therefore, God also highly exalted him. It's 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 a very curious passage. Um, God is unlike himself here. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Uh, there's. Um, there's Fleming Rutledge in her book, um, The Crucifixion, which is a, is a great book. Um, she Talking about this here, she refers to uh, the godlessness of the cross, and it's being the nadir of Jesus as the self-emptying servant. She says, perhaps we can gain further understanding by examining a horrific incident that occurred in Laramie, Wyoming in 1998 and soon became the emblemat- emblematic of the ongoing struggle against the persecution of homosexuals. A young gay man, Matthew Shepard, was beaten within an inch of his life by two other men and then tied 
to a fence and abandoned. 18 hours later, in near freezing weather, a passerby discovered the comatose figure and for a moment mistook it for a scarecrow. Matthew Shepard died in the hospital five days later without ever recovering consciousness. The particular, partic- the particular cruelty of this death left people groping for words. He was tied up and left dangling like an animal, said one spokesperson, recalling the Old West pre- practice of nailing a dead carrier to a ranch fence as a warning to intruders. The emphasis here is on the dehumanization of the victim. Declaring another person less than human is the well-attested first step toward eliminating that person or group of people. The phrase, like an animal, is there for The strongest of all statements, however, was this. There's an incredible symbolism in being tied to a fence. People have likened him to a scarecrow, but it sounded more like a crucifixion. That's an interesting point, just in the pose, right? You're necessarily sort of hanging from your arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see this, yeah, that you you think of Jesus as the scarecrow or the, yeah, this lifeless image. Um, And probably this looks anything but divine, right? And yet, like, it's like we're saying with with Isaiah 50, it's it's, this is where you see, um, it's, it's only in your ability to see this as something other than what it looks like that you actually see it for what it really is. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm puzzling over, over Philippians a little bit just because it in, I, I, to compare it to something like John, right? Uh, John makes a, almost a flat identification, right? He's got this sort of refined to such a point that Jesus's crucifixion is also his exaltation. Right, 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 right. Um, Paul isn't saying exactly that here. I don't think he's disagreeing with John, uh, but the structure is a is a therefore. Um, he, he, he's, he is he is holding the exaltation and the humiliation very, very tightly together, but he isn't quite collapsing them one into another in this passage. Yeah, they're like flip sides rather of, of a coin rather than the same thing. Yeah, Um I think that would make a difference in how you preach it if you wanted to be very attentive to what's going on here. But, well, I mean, what it highlights is that it's not transparent in the thing. Yeah, yeah. We, we, you could you could lazily turn John into a picture of Jesus sort of mounting atop a golden cross. Right, right. But you could not do that here. Yeah, maybe you have to read John sort of in, in light of this or, or have this condition the way you read. The- I I. Right, right. I think that's I think that's fair. Now, it's interesting tying all this together, the Mark text here where we have in Mark 11, where we have. The, this classic kind of Palm Sunday text. It's really interesting because Jerusalem is like something like over 2,000 feet higher, right, than Galilee. Or, you know, like, so the, here's the, this sense in which Jesus going to Jerusalem is an ascent, quite literally. Mm. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, Mark, the Mark passage, the Palm Sunday text is, a, well, I mean, it's, 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 it's the central passage. If somebody's preaching, they're probably preaching this one, which is fascinating, by the way. I mean, can we talk for a second about how this disappears? It we, Something weird has happened in the lectionary, right? So in the old days of the Western one-year lectionary, Palm, the Palm Sunday text would show up, not the Marx version of it, but Palm Sunday text would show up twice a year, not just once. It was Palm Sunday, but it was also Advent 1. Ah, okay. 
which is why Advent hymns seem to have Jesus riding into Jerusalem a lot. It's messianic because, you know, you have this messianic right. theme in, in Advent, you know, right. the, coming of, the coming of Israel's hope and consolation. And then now you have, of course, this is, this is here, but so many churches are doing Passion Sunday that not only are they not, of course, getting Palm Sunday in back in Advent, they're not getting it on Palm Sunday either, except maybe as a brief prelude. <laughs> Uh, which creates an interesting sort of dynamic, and it, it at least makes you think very hard about what the place of this entry into Jerusalem is. Yeah, it, I think it is interesting that if collapsing it into Passion Sunday, I do like that tending to Palm Sunday because it's interesting, right? Because Jesus looks like it, it's interesting because Robert Capon says that you know there's a shift in the parables of Jesus. He thinks after. It, it, largely in the synoptics after the feeding of uh, of the multitude because so that's where Jesus still looks like a traditional messiah and then after mm-hmm. that he's kind of you know he, he looks a little more subversive than this but this is again people are still thinking it looks like traditional messiah and you know hosanna they're asking save us you know uh, but what that save us means probably isn't it's just like the princess bride you know it's just uh, inconceivable uh, you use that word a lot. I do not think that words means what you think it means. <laughs> and sometimes yeah. the cry might not look exactly like what they think it's going to look like. Well, I mean, that's it. What you're struck by is, on the one hand, it, when, when you know when churches do this, it's an exciting moment. We have the palm branches and right all 173 verses of all glory, lot, and honor, and. You know, and, and it, it, you, you probably you, you might have some procession going on, even if you're not that sort of church that usually has a procession. Right. And it gets all very big. And at some point you realize or you don't that it's a fraud, that you don't know who this is that you're welcoming in at this point, And you're welcoming in for completely wrong reasons. Yeah, and it's helpful for the church to, to step into that role. Right. Because that's who we always are in relation. Yeah, to Jesus, right. 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 <laughs> It's like I'm always worried. I always get nervous when I hear someone preach it, uh, the text where the disciples, where one of the texts where the disciples don't get it, of which there are legion, right? And they identify with Jesus, like telling a story how they were a camp counselor or something and their counselees didn't get it. I'm like, no, we should always be, I, I'll be identified with the people that don't get it. <laughs> right. Which, which means Palm Sunday is like a parody of the church's own worship most of the time. It's interesting. I've always thought and I've heard in sermons, like, you know, the people that shout, crucify you know that, that shout hosanna welcome are the same people that days later will shout crucify him right but this is what pope benedict sa- as says in his jesus book he said people had heard of the prophet from nazareth but he did not appear to have any importance for jerusalem and the people there did not know him the crowd that paid homage to jesus as the gateway to the at the gateway to the city was not the same crowd that later demanded his crucifixion in this two-stage account of the failure to recognize jesus through a combination of indifference and fear, we see something of the city's tragedy of which Jesus spoke a number of times, most poignantly in his eschatological discourse. Interesting. So he's saying basically that a lot of these people shouting are pilgrims that came in and then kind of fell away from Jesus. <laughs> you know, so that you have a two sort of stage, two adventures of missing the point. The ones that come with Jesus miss the point. And the residents of J- Jerusalem, you know, we feel, they get to it. So you have two groups of people missing the point, not just one. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I uh, never thought of that until I read that book a couple years ago. I, I don't know. It never occurred to me. And I thought, yeah, that is an interesting point. That's that's I mean, it, that is a point. And it, it occurs to me, for example, if you were doing the, the, the John version of the entry, it explicitly says 
that the crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So you have in right in in in, in the John 12 version of it, it's pointed out basically these are pilgrims. Right, right. And they're there. I mean, there's a Passover to be celebrated. So here you go. Right. You know that that I guess there's a buzz created as they're there. You know, it's a high holy holiday, and Jerusalem is a buzz. And then this guy who you know, the word is getting out through these pilgrims that come with him. They wow, something's going on here. Do you think people from Jerusalem spent like a lot of their time talking to each other, bitching about tourists? I would guess. <laughs> I would guess. You know, it's like the Jersey Shore, the shoebies that come in. They always call them. You know, I'm I'm one of those. That, you know, comes <laughs> I've never been. Oh, you don't know what you're missing. Uh, that's true. Now, do we think that what's going on here with this this cult is this a this is a stunt, right? This is a plant. Yeah, that always I that always, I'm always interested about that. Like he'll know. Is it an angel? What is it? Who is it? Who tends this cult? Like, right. it's a, yeah, it's interesting. But you know, it is, it is the, it is the sort of, uh, I mean, riding in on the cult is is sort of kingly. I mean, you know, it, it's 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 not. He's not coming on the war horse because it's assumed he's kind of he's in the regal victory position. Yeah, which is it's right. a, that's interesting because again, it seems like Jesus is in on the parody. Uh, he is. He's allowing it. He doesn't. He's not. War- he, he could be shouting at them and telling them, "You have no idea who I am," and he doesn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, which is helpful for the church. Yeah. No. Yeah. It, it's like he. He. It's. There's it, the tenderness in our. It's sort of like when you see kids playing at something. Right. That, that's kind of off, or you know, and you kind of allow their offness because it's there's something beautiful. That, with the, you know, even though, what? kind of, confused about what they're doing. Last last night, somebody sent me a Facebook video, a thing I'd seen before, but and I, I'm pretty sure it's I can't prove that. Um, but it's a video of somebody who gives his 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 grandma or whatever a picture of um, Ewan McGregor in Obi Wan Get Up, <laughs> and it makes her its way into her little home shrine with pictures of Jesus and whatever. And clearly, she's been praying in front of it, and then he tells her like that's that's. That's Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's not Jesus. <laughs> right. Um, it just it just had me thinking about this because it there's there's something like that. Jesus will will bear with startlingly our occasional prayers to Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. And thank thank God for that. Right. That, you know, that we um, that he prays as our ascended high priest with us and for us. So we're not alone in our often pitiful attempts at prayer. Right. And worship. Right. Adam, thanks for doing this and blessings as you worship with with your congregation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review and subscribe or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Adam for being on the podcast, and thanks again to you for listening to Synaxis. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.